This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk back again with you guys for another show for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series where I'm joined by a guest today to talk through the chaos of the transfer window. Andrew, aka Ask Blog, I mean, merry congratulations to transfer window opening day um, <laughs> where the chaos begins in full flow. Are we good? Are we well? We're all right. Yeah. I mean, look, I think this is the day we've all been waiting for. It's been a long, difficult time for all of us, but finally <laughs> here, transfer deadline day opening is happening. You know, there's been a lot of craziness uh, until now, but the, mm. the window hasn't even been open. So <clears throat> yeah, now look, we go for it. Now we just go crazy and mental and, uh, you know, do it all between now and what, August 31st when it, fin- when it finishes. So let's have at it. I mean, it's weird because before it even started, it was over because we didn't sign Emi Buendia. Um, and so, therefore, uh, there's, what's what's the point? <laughs> what's the point anymore? Why should we bother? I was listening to, uh, obviously, the Ask, the Ask Cast that went out with you and James reacting to kind of that news. Um, and I don't want to spend too long on it because, obviously, it's, it's in the past. It's done. It's over. But, I mean, honestly, were you, were you disappointed that, that it wasn't going to be someone that we were going to get this window? Um, look, I could easily have seen a place in the team for him. Um, mm. you know, he has got lots of qualities that, that you think we could use as a team. He's creative. He scores goals. You know, one of the problems that we've had in, in recent years is scoring enough goals. And, you know, he got 16 in the championship, whatever it was, 15, 16, 15, mm. 16 assists. There's a part of me that wonders, you know, it's a bit like when a player does amazing things in the Eredivisie and he comes to England, doesn't quite do it. There have been a number of examples of that. And you wonder, can he translate those numbers from championship level to um, to Premier League level? You know, we'll find out, I guess, with, with Aston Villa. It's always a little disappointing when you see a player who you think can do something good. But I suppose you saw a lot of people saying, well, look, you know, he's miles better than Willian. Well, yes, of course he is. You know, that's not the issue. The issue is <laughs> I'm miles better than Willian. <laughs> we all are. Everyone here watching this could do a better job than Willian did last season with one leg tied behind our backs. But, you know, he's not coming in to replace Willian. He's coming in to compete with Bakayo Saka and Nicolas Pepe and Emile Smith-Rowe and those kind of players. So it's, 
Look, I can't really get too bent out of shape about a, a deal that doesn't happen before the transfer window opens when we've still got a lot of time to sort things out. If on September the 1st, we're looking back and going, well, blimey, we should have done that, then I think we can have some regret slash anger slash flaming pitchforks and what have you. But for now, Simpsons I just... meme coming to mind right yeah, now, exactly. yeah. You know, but I think we have to... We have to, whether we trust them or not, whether we believe in their ability to do it or not, we have to at least give them the time to try this summer. So let's see what they come up with. Maybe it's better, maybe it's worse, but it's got to be something. I mean, do you do you believe? Because it's something that I think a lot of Arsenal fans have kind of had self-confliction with. Every single season we build up this hope. Um, we see these links and we religiously follow all the right people uh, to try and find out the information. And this summer, of course, involved the whole Super League kind of pre-drinks to the, to the transfer window, if you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, and and then we had the situation with the fallout of that, the fans forum, Josh telling us that they've got big plans to invest and, and mm. building up this hope and Arteta and Edu saying they've got a plan themselves of what they want to do, which is, it's left me in a very calm state about the window. Um, I don't know if I'm still naive and still acting in this case of, of just blind hope again. Are you, are you hopeful that we are going to have a strong window or is it just, you know, you don't really want to hedge your bets about too many things. It's a little from column A, a little from column B. I mean, I have to mm. be hopeful. I can't sit here in despair thinking that nothing is going to happen because essentially then I'm sort of giving up, um, which mm. isn't to say I have a great deal of faith in them either. You know, what I would yeah. say is that, look, the there is a time where somebody at least has to take stock of where we are and, and start to put things right. And I think we talked about this the last time that, that one of the things that um, gives me some hope or encouragement to Mikel Arteta is the fact mm -hmm. that he has at least acknowledged the problems that we have, whether he's capable of fixing them or not, I don't know, but he has, you know, come into the club and said, this is not good enough. The standards are not good enough. Where we are on the table is not good enough. You know, the expectations for Arsenal Football Club have to be higher than where we are. And I know he's struggled and all that kind of stuff. Um, you can you can make that apply to things that happen just on the pitch, if you like. But I, ha I have to believe as well that he's looked at what's gone on behind the scenes and the structures and, and things like that and said, well, this is not good enough either. So I think... I think I have to, at this point, believe that they are going to do something which at least puts right some of the problems that we have on the pitch. You know, the, it's, mm. it's impossible to think that we're going to go through this transfer window without signing anybody. We've got to sign some players. We know that. The manager knows that. He literally said, I think, um, well, it was probably 12 months or so ago, he, he talked about how really the only way you can improve is to invest. And if we don't invest at the level that the other clubs are investing at, we will get left behind. And that's a message to the owners. So now it comes to whether or not you believe KSE and the Cronkies are going to provide those kind of funds. I don't think, you know, they're going to provide them themselves. I think they might make money available via loans and, and that kind of stuff, which is another debate, another question as to how much debt yeah. we can accrue and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, if they if they care even 1%, which might be a stretch, if KSE care even 1% <laughs> about what the football club is doing and what people think of the job that they're doing at the football club, we have to buy players. Simple as that. Yeah. 
because and I mean yeah and I mean Arteta Arteta was spot on wasn't he when you I mean you used the example saying that the only way that we get back to where Arsenal were so long ago now um, is by competing at the same level investing at the same level buying at the same level adding the quality of the same level mm. as those teams and we've just not done that we've, we, there's been signs like Thomas Partey I thought was an excellent signing um, mm. that we made but it, it wasn't built upon I mean the, the summers where we signed just Petr Cech under Arsene Wenger like they weren't built upon and it was it's the consistency that's that's been lacking and, and you're hoping that as you say we've got a manager that knows the problems the problem with the coach might be, as you say, that he might not be able to fix those problems whilst he can identify them. I mean, it's all yeah. great having an electrician come to your house and going, oh, that's the that's the issue, but not being able to actually fix it. Yeah, what uh, wire is this? I don't know. What yes. <laughs> it's the, I put the William wire in it. It's not worked. Um, but it's just a case of now trying to see what we're going to do. And also, we're, we've got such a bloated squad, which is kind of mm. the, the point to come on to next, that we're seeing players linked with moves away from the club. The one that looks closest right now is is Granite Xhaka. Um, yeah. the, the the most arguably since Ozil left, the most divisive figure within the uh, within the fan base, of course. I, I there's been a lot of kind of discussions around the fee has been kind of the main thing to gripe people, and mm. there's been elements of hypocrisy and irony and discussions around his fee. Apparently, he's the worst midfielder we've ever had, but yet we don't want to. <laughs> no, we've got to accept thirty million for this guy, not twenty million. I mean, what's your whole view around the Xhaka departure debacle? My feeling on Granit Xhaka is that if the, the money is right, the offer comes in, we should sell. You know, he's not on my list of players that we absolutely have to keep and cannot afford to lose. So therefore, any bid that comes in for a player in the other category has to be considered. I get what people are saying about the fee to an extent. But if Granit Xhaka was worth... 40 million pounds or 45 million pounds when he's just about to turn 29. Is that not the kind of player at the level that we should be keeping? You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, if that's what his market value was, it would tie into his performances. So I think Shaka in general was, was good last season, you know, Um, he had those mistakes against Burnley, but he had a pretty consistent season all in all. But he is nearly 29. He's got two years left on his contract. So we are in the position where we say, right, do we extend Granit Xhaka's contract or do we sell? Mm. And I think it, it's pretty simple that we sell. We have, he's been here five years. I think he's, I think there's maybe a book to be written about Granit Xhaka and the, the time he's had at <laughs> Arsenal because, yeah. you know, uh, he's a player who I think has got quality. He's a player who really has frustrated me at times because of some of the, some of the stupid stuff that he's done. Um, he's a player though, who I think has, you know, whenever he goes on the pitch, I think he does give you that classic 100%. You know, I don't think there's ever been a game where he's, he's sort of just phoned it in. You know what I mean? It may not have yeah. been good enough, but I don't think he's like gone through the motions or anything like that. The whole thing with Crystal Palace, I, I actually, you know, I kind of have some sympathy for him in that sense because of how that whole situation yeah. was handled that summer by Emery. You know, the the way he delayed the captaincy, he delayed it, delayed it, delayed it, and it became a much bigger thing than it ever needed to be. And the frustration that, that Xhaka was potentially going to be one of the captains or the captain fed into some of the reaction that was directed his way before that Crystal Palace game. So I do think Emery mm. really mismanaged that situation badly from a Xhaka point of view. But 
right now sitting here, he's been here five years. We need to rebuild. You cannot keep rebuilding with the same pieces. You have to put some new pieces in place. And I think Jack is one of those pieces that is replaceable. So if the bid is around 20 million pounds, there or thereabouts, I'd, you know, I'd take it. I'd take it. You know, mm. the, the idea that he's worth 30, 35, 40 million pounds just doesn't seem right to me. This is a player that lots of people are saying, as you said, I saw somebody say he's literally the worst midfielder we've ever had. And I <laughs> never watched Arsenal for any significant length of time because I could list yeah. you 20 right now that are worse than he was. But, mm. you know, if that is the prevailing wisdom on within some sections of the fan base, how can you, how can you hold that opinion and also bemoan the price that we're getting for him. I don't, I don't quite get that. As devices as as, as uh, he has been, I suppose, is is also in regards to who we should replace him with. The man that's being touted around, and whether or not it it turns out to be the case, because as we've heard, Arsenal kind of want to do as much as they can behind the scenes. Stuff deal does, of course, come out. But the man that looks like to be the replacement by the club is Ruben Neves. And mm. the Wolves midfielder is, has gone on an interesting journey since joining Wolves from Porto as their youngest ever captain, I think he was, and then helped them get up to the Premier League and had a really good first debut season in the Premier League to the point mm. where I think it was uh, the Times that reported that they received a, a figure in around 60 million euro bid that they turned down for him. Uh, to the point now, two years on, where he's figure with the pandemic and his contract mm. situation and the fact that they need to sell to reinvest, that he's on that list of players that now his figure's around £35 million. Are you, would you be happy with a, a Ruben Neves for that fee coming in to be Granite Xhaka's replacement? I guess if you look at it from the point of view, let's let's say you get twenty million for Xhaka, and I know it's not this simplistic. Mm. But let's say you get twenty million for Xhaka, and you spend thirty-five million on Neves. You're getting Neves for net fifteen million pounds. Sure. Neves at fifteen million pounds, an attractive signing for most clubs, yeah. probably. You know, I, I, he was a really hot prospect. Um, you're right. You know, he he was really highly rated, and and probably hasn't developed the way he might have. That can happen for players, and they can stagnate at a club and move and and develop again. And he is only mm. just gone 24, so he's still pretty young. I think he 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 looks like the kind of player to me that Mikel Arteta would like. You know, whatever you think of Xhaka, Mikel Arteta has used him a lot a lot when he's fit he plays in midfield we used him at left back and that's a different story but you know we used him pretty much every game he was ever fit for he played so whatever people think of granite Xhaka, the the profile of player and what Xhaka brings to a team is is clearly something that Mikel arteta likes neves is a good passer a good long passer he can switch play well he's maybe got a bit more about him in terms of attacking threat and goals so it's not a surprise to me that we we might be after this guy. It's really not. Um, mm. Whether that's enough for midfield, I'm not sure. I do think that there is room for another signing because, you know, Ginduzi is going to go. Torreira is probably going to go on gone. loan somewhere. I, I would imagine Torreira will go on loan somewhere and we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll sell him next summer. Ainsley Maitland-Niles, you know, he's not going to stay by the looks of it. Uh, Danny Ceballos is gone. Mohamed Elneny is is Mohamed Elneny. There's only so far you can go with that guy. There's a decision to be made about Joe Willock. Mm. You know, do you do you go all in on Willock this summer or do you 
do you bring somebody else in to give you that bit more depth? So as a sort of like for like replacement uh, for Xhaka, I'm not, I'm not that um, unhappy about Neves. I suppose the one question you might ask is if a player like Xhaka has been so fundamental to the way we play and that method of play has seen us finish eighth mm. for the last couple of seasons, do you need to think about doing something different? But maybe, maybe the Neves thing is to provide the sort of security in midfield that will allow Thomas Partey to do the different thing. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Because we haven't, no, 100%, seen, no yeah. question, we haven't seen the best of, of Thomas Partey yet. No way. So maybe mm. as a foil for Partey, that is the thinking behind that. And that's what gives you the difference in midfield. Well, look, I mean, Thomas Partey was unbelievably good at at uh, Atletico Madrid, but he had Koke, he had Saul Naguetz next to him, and and all of those players and the qualities they had allowed Partey to be the, the, the top-class player. He's come to Arsenal, where he is far and away the best central midfielder that we've got, and that means he's got a hell of a lot more responsibilities. And when Granite Xhaka is left and turned, it is then Partey's job to, to really track back and cover because he's got the mobility that Xhaka doesn't have. And yeah. in my view, that in my view, Arsenal were looking for a central midfielder before Xhaka's departure possibility ever came up. I think Arsenal wanted to go in for a yeah. midfielder anyway. The fact that he is going indicates to me that maybe then Arsenal would do more than just, say, a Ruben Neves, a like-for-like -like yeah. replacement. Because whilst... I agree with you saying that Jack has been very integral to what we've done and how we play. I still think a player of that ilk, someone that can keep the play ticking over, a, a, part, a really good passer, but in particular Neves for me when looking kind of more deeply into him is is good at playing more proactive passes directly into the box to create chances, whereas Xhaka is more to utilise maybe our left wing, whether that's down to the coaching of Arteta and the ideals. Yeah. Yes, and part of the build-up, whether that's down to coaching is obviously up for debate, but I think Neves does add that kind of more direct link from a deep of view with a better accuracy and also mm. think statistically he's shown to be a better defender than Xhaka he's better at tackling better intercepting better in the recovery areas too it's just he's not got mm. maybe that high level passing that, that Xhaka does but I obviously the fan base seem in my view and I don't use this word lightly but genuinely obsessed with Yves Basuma <laughs> as, as like this guy to be the savior of Arsenal and whilst he too is my preference for yeah. me it's more about as you said earlier a variation, a difference, something different to what we've had. And I do look at Basuma as that type, but I'm not I'm not all hanging my clothes out to dry on on Basuma. If someone of the same quality, same style comes in, I'm I'm happy. And I think there is also scope that you could say play a Neves or if say Xhaka was to stay just for argument's sake play a 4-3-3 in a very mm. similar way to Liverpool do with kind of your number six and then Partey and then your Neves Xhaka type alongside him. So they've got the security to do what they can do. And then because Smith-Rowe is versatile enough that he can play on a wider area, not just as a 10, you can use mm. that. So what are your thoughts around the idea of, of Arteta looking at what's happened, identifying that issue and then signing maybe a couple of midfielders to change the system? Or do you think he's very much married to an out-and-out -out number 10, 4-2-3-1 kind of system? You know, I think the fact that we're, we're we've uh, by all accounts made Martin Odegaard the number one priority for our mm. attacking midfield signing suggests that, you know, he is slightly married to that number 10. Um, you know, and I think he is probably more along the lines of a classic 10. But whether Arteta sees Odegaard as being capable of doing something different, 
Um, you know, if you're playing a 4-3-3, could he play in one of those positions? I think one of the other things that's interesting to me is that <clears throat> we maybe have to consider the idea that in Bakayo Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe, we've got two players who can also function in midfield in a 4-3-3. I don't see that as beyond their capabilities, you know? So uh, clearly they've both played a lot of football wide. Um, there's something maybe Wenger-esque when it comes to giving young players their chance and playing them in wide positions before you move them central. So those are possibilities for me, and I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I do wonder if that is part of the long-term thinking at Arsenal. Certainly, I, I could see both Smith-Rowe and Saka, you know, as 8-10s in a 4-3-3, you know, uh, those yeah. wide 8s, if you like. Um, the Odegaard thing makes me think we are looking for that classic number 10, which um, might suggest we need to do something a little bit different. If it's a double pivot with a 10, then who do you get alongside Thomas Partey? Does the Neves Partey thing work? Do you need a ball winner like Bissouma? Uh, everyone mm. wants Bissouma, it seems. And I do fear that if we don't get him, there's going to be a, a kind of a meltdown. I said somewhere else. Wendy Mark II. Yeah, but maybe he is, maybe he is the Yan and Via of this season. You oh, know, no. You know, right <laughs> the Sebastian Frey. Yeah, but like Mvia was seen as, well, this is the guy we have to have in midfield. Mm. And, you know, eventually he went to Sunderland and somewhere else. I can't remember, you know. Mm. Um, which isn't to say I don't think Basuma is a good player. When he played against us uh, at the end of the season, I think he was very, very keen to make an impression in that game because yeah. it seems that perhaps the the links to Arsenal are coming a bit more from his yeah. side of things, like his team and his people want a, a move to Arsenal, which is great. And, you know, I think we can all um, appreciate that. Why wouldn't we like a guy who really wants to come to us? That's good. But, uh, you know, from the various transfer reports that are going out from pretty credible sources, he is a player we're looking at, but he's not top of the list when it comes to our midfield options. Mm. So maybe we have a player of a similar uh, type that we want before him. Um, maybe we want something completely different, but look, this is where it's all going to come out in the wash during this transfer window, because like, like we said, it's just opened. It's just opened. And, and from within Arsenal, there is pretty much radio silence. There's not much leaking yep. out from that executive team. So a lot of the links that we're seeing to certain players beyond the obvious one, like Odegaard, um, are coming from the other side of these deals. You know what I mean? From the yeah, other clubs, from the agents, from the players, et cetera, et cetera. So what what we're seeing maybe is what certain other clubs or agents or players might want or would like to see Arsenal as a, a destination for their players, but we don't quite know if that's reciprocated, if that that interest exists on the other side of things as well. Yeah, he's going to be, I think, a very, it's probably going to be the most difficult transfer window from a social aspect, I think, for fans to kind of grasp this year. Because not only are the level of expectation that's been set on it by the words from the ownership, by the words from Arteta, and the fact that we've already supposedly missed out on a key target in Buendia, mm. and there's always these names that are coming up with Neves and Basuma now too. But the fact that 
it is a year where people can't really see progression without significant change in the squad, both through outs and ins. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the pressure of a, an international tournament, which conf- conflicts and com- compounds kind of all of those issues and makes things more complicated as well. That all of those factors are going to make this a very testing window, I think, for the fan base to kind of deal with as we go through it, which is great for me because I do an 8 a.m. show every day talking about transfers, which is great. Um, <laughs> It's, so it's going to keep me busy. But yeah, there are obviously still a number of positions. You mentioned Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Did you catch his interview uh, that, he, that he did and yeah. read through the, the Telegraph's interview? We broke it down yesterday on a show. And uh, I mean, Clive from the Arsenal Vision podcast clearly saw how frustrated I was getting and he jumped on for the last half an hour to calm me down and give me the other side because it was... I did get quite... I don't, Frustrated is probably the right word. I was frustrated in two halves with it. One, because I'm not the biggest fan at times when players come out and, and not to use the word slam, it's a very media term, but slam the club, yeah. um, slam the Edu and Arteta or whatever. But I was also frustrated because the day before the transfer window opens, we've got a player here that's future is still unknown and he doesn't even know from the coach who has told us as fans that they've got a plan all laid out. Uh, that he doesn't know what's going to happen. He's not heard from them. He hasn't had any contact. Does does those words worry you? And what was your kind of reaction to the interview as well? Yeah, I wrote about it a bit today on Mm. on the blog so people can go over and have a look. Um, I wasn't frustrated by it. Um, I don't think he slammed. Yeah. (laughs) When things like this, they don't resonate in the media unless you use inflammatory language like that i think if anybody reads what he has to say it's it's pretty measured Mm. um so it's it's not like uh outright criticism of the manager or the way that the club has treated him i would say two things one it's quite interesting that he's come out this early in the transfer window to talk about what he wants that he's looking Mm. for clarity I would say as well that it's only been a couple of weeks since the end of the season. Players are on holidays. The manager and his staff have probably taken a little short break, not much of one because they've got a lot of work to do, but they've barely had time to sort of assess the season, make, you know, um, I'm sure they have plans, but, you know, to do the individual player assessments, to get the reports back from the loan manager, to see how he got on at West Brom, et cetera, et cetera. But, it, you know, it seems very much like this is a, an interview, given the timing of it. This is the key thing for me, the timing. They're not even back in preseason yet, and he's looking to find out what's happening. And I I, I, I think that's okay. You know, he wants clarity yeah. on his own future. He's perfectly entitled to look for that. There's no issue in my mind with that. But it an interview like this does not suggest to me that he sees his future at Arsenal. So does he know that there is a, an imminent bid out there that there's interest from him in, uh, from other clubs and he's putting this out there to put a bit of pressure on them. You know, this feels like something like if it was mid August and nobody had spoken to him about what's happening next, I'd understand it a lot more. Yeah. It's the start of June. You know, so there's something going on in terms of him trying to maybe it is just wanting to get clarity and wanting to 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 put in place plans for for this summer. The thing about it is for me is that I don't think Ainsley Maitland Niles' future is necessarily one of the top priorities during this transfer window. He feels to me like a really mm. end of window kind of deal. You know what yeah. I mean? 
Like, because a just in case kind of guy. Yeah, just, exactly. He's a just in case kind of guy. Like, you know, what if we sell Hector and we sell Cedric and we've got Callum Chambers and we're looking for a right back, but until we get a right back, we'll keep Ainsley because he can yeah. do that. We're looking for a left back cover. And, yeah. well, you know, it. if it's like four games for the season, we could play Ainsley there. Midfield is still a bit up in the air. Maybe it's not ideal, but we could hang on to him. It feels to me like he is the, the archetypal end of season transfer deadline day departure. Right? Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of at odds with with what he wants. So it feels a little bit like he's pushing it to make something happen sooner, probably in the knowledge that that's what's going on with him as well. But I think he's an interesting one because, you know, this is a guy, a young English guy who's played 20, 120-odd games for Arsenal. Mm -hmm. He is exactly the kind of player that we should be cashing in on to make the most out of our academy, you know? Because a lot of players come through from the academy, they make a handful of appearances if they make any at all mm. and they're sold on pretty cheaply but Maitland Niles established himself as a first team player he's 23 nearly 24 24 in August I think yeah. 120 odd appearances for Arsenal whatever he did 20 odd appearances for for West, West Brom. Brom he had a good loan spell at Ipswich early in his career he made the England team mm. this is a guy that we need to get as much as we can for because he is a product of the academy that has done pretty much everything that you would want and if he's got to a point at arsenal where it's not quite going to go for him and he's got to move on we've got that leverage of his mm. experience and the appearances and all of that kind of stuff to look for a really decent fee for him so that's another reason why perhaps you know he might be disappointed that something doesn't happen quite as quickly this summer you know yeah, yeah. It positions himself very well. And Clive said yesterday he felt it was he was just basically positioning himself at this moment and just yeah. putting that out there and uh, and getting the feelers out, I suppose. And we'll see how it rumbles on. But yeah, I think you're spot on with that. He does feel like a contingency plan, um, mm. very, very much so for the club. And we'll see yeah. how that one rumbles through. We've got about 10 minutes left, so I do want to open up the opportunity in the chat box um, for some people to ask some questions. Uh, and when they have come, you, you spoke about Ainsley Maitland-Niles coming through the academy and AV uh, asked the question, which players from our academy do you see breaking into the first team this coming season? That's a good question. Um, it strikes me that the the best uh, candidate is, is uh, Fuller and Balogun. Hmm. Uh, simply because, you know, there's question marks over Lacazette, question marks over Inketia, whether they'll stay. To be honest, I think both of them should be sold. Um, we're at a point with both of them where I think it, 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 we have to get money in. They're both ideal candidates for a sale. That leaves us with Aubameyang. So if we're not going to sign a striker, maybe we will, but if we're not, Balagoon is the closest one, I think, to, to, to first-team football. He got some minutes last season. Looked pretty good in the short amount of time that we saw him, albeit in the Europa League against fairly mediocre opposition. Yeah. Um, but it's it's really hard to see anybody else coming through. We don't have a left back coming through. There doesn't appear to be a right back coming through. Central defenders very rarely make it out of the academy. Mm. Um, central midfield, everyone is excited about Miguel Aziz, but you know, he's just 18. He may be part of the squad next season, but you know, breakthrough is or breaking into the first team is is a little bit different than some odd substitute appearances here and there. And beyond that, it's very difficult to look at um, at who might make it. You know, uh, yeah. particularly as we don't have that 
that Europa League thing. We don't have the Europa League group stage in which we can, you know, blood young players and give them some time. So, yeah, I think Balogun is the, is the obvious one for me, unless yeah. you think anything different. Is there anyone else you think might come through and catch I'd the eye? The thing is, is, I think you've got this, this. There's a bit of an age issue, I think, in the in the use at the moment because the ones that are of the the twenties are not of the desired level. And like you look at players like George Lewis, who's I think twenty one. Yeah, yeah. He's going to be going off on loan, I imagine. You've got players like Bolo, who went to Rochdale. He's twenty two, and he's not going to make it at Arsenal. No. Um, and then beyond that, the real quality players, the ones that stand out, your Aziz, um, Nikolai Moller, they they like a lot, and he's going to go out on loan this this summer. Um, you've got Catalan Kurjan, the Romanian kid. They like him a lot as well. You've got Charlie Patino, who's very young as well. Mm. These are all guys that need further development. Aziz, I think, should go on loan. I think that he he is a player that I don't really want. I don't think he's going to get enough chances next season in the first team in the cup competitions like League Cup or whatever to get a chance. So I'd like to see him get a regular loan, maybe League One or Championship level, to see how that goes. Um, but he's someone I like. But yeah, there's just not. The, the age, the age, I think, is a bit of a problem, and I think there's also an issue, and maybe the reason why they got rid of Steve Bold because they want to kind of have a bit of a rejig of the, the youth team, and maybe Matazaka has identified that we do need to have a bit of a refresh at the moment. Um, there's an interesting question actually relating to backroom staff. Uh, I'll find it in a second, but they, they basically asked the question, "What's your opinion on the changes in backroom staff?" We've obviously seen uh, Richard Garlic come in as as a head of football operations. Mm. Um, there was links which were quickly dismissed missed about consultation with Lewis Campos um but but there was Chris Wheatley did say that Arsenal are interested in furthering kind of their recruitment arm of the club in that area so what do you make of kind of those and do you think there is a necessity there's a necessity maybe to to add extra expertise in that area yeah look I think I don't know quite how good Richard Garlick is going to be but certainly I think we've needed somebody in that position because last summer we lost the head of football in Raul Sanyehi, we lost. You know, I'm not saying that. <laughs> it makes it sound like this is a bad thing, but you know what I mean? Uh, but, but also Husfami left, and he was in charge of uh, the contracts. And mm. again, um, I'm not going to say lost in, in that regard, but it left a gap. You know, it really left a gap. And you can yeah. look at a situation like uh, William Saliba not going on loan last whatever it was was it october when the transfer window closed yes yeah, october 5th anyway, it was, it was yeah. delay yeah but you could look at that situation as one which perhaps came about because we didn't have sufficient um we just didn't have enough people to do all the work that needed to be done so richard garlic coming in i think is a good thing i can't say whether he's going to be good bad or indifferent yet we will see and it's also very hard to judge the the work that somebody like that does behind the scenes you know, he's mm. not going to be a front-facing guy. We're not going to get interviews every week with Richard Garlick. Uh, no. He's got to go ab about his business behind the scenes and do it well. Um, so, look, it's a positive thing that we brought somebody like that in. I don't believe there was any real interest in Luis Campos. I think that was just... Media chat. Talk, and yeah. The club denied that pretty quickly. And I just don't think that the current structure that we have with, with Arteta and Edu lends itself to a Luis Campos or Ralph Ranić or somebody mm -hmm. like that who would have authority over those guys. Now, that's not to say that I don't think that might be a good thing. Yeah. But, uh, I don't believe that we gave Mikel Arteta the manager's job to bring somebody else in who could then tell him what to do. I think the job of 
manager at a Premier League football club implies the kind of authority that we associated with with Arsene Wenger, with Alex Ferguson, et cetera, et cetera. Nevertheless, those guys need to be supported. So I think the more we can add in the background, you know, to to provide knowledge, expertise, quality, um, you know, the ability to do things as well and efficiently as possible can only be a good thing. You know, it can only be a good thing. So we'll we'll see how this summer <clears throat> plays out for for Edu and Richard Garlic and for Mikel Arteta, but they've got a lot to do. They've got a lot to do. Yeah, no, they definitely do. Um, ins, outs, uh, and sorting things out is going to yeah, be yeah. The, the real focus. Final question then, uh, before we wrap up. Uh, mm. I like this one from Drew, who says, um, do you think that we should wait for the Euros to end before we go and make any big money signings in case they sustain any long-term injuries during the tournament? And to kind of add on to that, I also think there's a, there's a point to say about some of the dominoes that we talk about in transfer windows. I don't think they necessarily fall until after the Euros specifically and obviously some players can maybe become available or show themselves to maybe be targets. So what, what do you think about using the Euros and, and timing of transfers? Well, I think that the fact that the Euros is starting on Friday in two days' time yeah. pretty much precludes any signing of a player who's going to be at the Euros, to be honest. Mm. Because, you know, if they announce a signing during the Euros, people will accuse them of being distracted or not being fully focused on the work that they have to do with their country or their nation and those kind mm. of things, which doesn't mean that like a deal can't be arranged and agreed during the euros. Yeah. But look, I think if you, if you see a good player and he's playing for his country and he's at the European championships, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't try and sign him just because the, the, the competition is on like if you see a player playing for another club and you arrange a deal with them in january like um mm -hmm. chelsea did that a little while ago didn't they was it with Werner. Werner, uh, exactly yeah yeah you know those kind of things like it's like do you sign him when he's still got half a season to play and he might get injured yeah. at his club yeah he stopped that's playing not, the champions league games i think Werner, yeah, towards you know, the end yeah but i mean that's yeah. not how you that's not how you operate i just think that the you know, most national teams and national team squads, unless an incredible opportunity comes up for a player that the the player is desperate to take and it needs to be sorted out, I think most mm. national team managers and coaches will be saying, look, during this tournament, your focus is on, is on us and what we have to do. Yeah. So I don't really expect anything to go through, you know, with regards to players who are going to be at the Euros. So. Yeah. To, to me, that's not really an issue, you know? No, and I mean, whilst when the Euros finishes, you've got the whole of August and the end of July, I think the Euros finishes midway through July. So there is a lot of time to, to still do that work. And uh, as we say, players can get injured. You may have been looking to sign previously and that can change your thought. Um, and I think one of the things is there is obviously a lot of players that we've got that aren't going to the Euros uh, this yeah. summer. And a lot of those, thankfully, are players that we probably need to look to move on. Uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, Genduzzi, um, Torreira is at the Copper America, of course, but there is a number of Reese Nelson that you could be yeah. looking at. So No, I mean, that's that's a really good point as well, because, you know, does it say a lot about your squad or a lot about where you are as a club that, like, we've only got four players at the European Championships? Yeah. I think it does, you know. Soon to be uh, three when Xhaka goes. <laughs> yeah, it could easily be three. So, you know, this is... You know, you used to be a case that you you go into a summer of a European Championships or a World Cup and you're thinking, oh my God, you know, basically our entire first team is there and some of the players, you know, the backups are there. Mm. You know, 
you could have a summer where your entire squad doesn't get any or doesn't get the holidays that they need because they're all playing at, at, at international tournaments. That's not the case for Arsenal this summer. No. And I think that should tell Mikel Arteta, should tell us as fans plenty about where we are, who we've got, and what we need to do, mm. uh, both you know in terms of incomings and outcomings. And, and uh, look, the bottom line is the players who get picked are the ones who are playing well and playing well consistently. And if you play well consistently, you help your team and your team is higher up the table than Arsenal. So it's this big circular thing of like, we need to yeah. get better. The players need to get better. And if we do that, then, you know, come the next European championships, we'll be sitting here complaining about how there's eight or 10 of them at the tournament. Yeah. But that is the consequence of being a good team. Yeah, I spoke about it yesterday on the show. I said it's frustrating that there's not more. I mean, it's funny. I, the, my project over at 101 is that I had to do the 10 things all of the top six clubs fans should look for in each of their teams at the Euros. And I'm going through the Arsenal one. I'm like, right, well, I've got four. <laughs> I've got four things. I've got to find six things now because we've got no players there. But yeah, no, it's been a real pleasure, Andrew, to have you on. As always, uh, much appreciate your time this morning. And uh, do you want to tell people where they can find you on the socials? Just, you know, there, Arse blog. You can... There it do is. The thing. you know that's where we are so look good to talk to you tom and uh thanks nice. everyone for watching and uh we'll we'll catch you again soon i hope we sure definitely will thank you so much people for tuning in if you've enjoyed it please make sure you drop a like on the video and subscribe to the channel if you're new we're back again this afternoon most likely for a tactical breakdown focusing on chalanoglu uh, so make sure you tune in for that i'll see you again very very soon and as always up the arsenal <laughs>this podcast is proud to be part of the talk sport fan network talk sport powered by fans